talk to you today about something really, really important. The importance of who you are allowing to define you. Very, very important in this day and age. Who is defining you? So I don't even know what you mean. Well, somebody is shaping the way you see yourself. The way you view yourself. We call it a self-image. How are you seeing yourself? How do you view yourself? We're going to see that today in this message. Now, usually I would have you stand for the reading, but I'm going to read a lot of context, so I'm going to let you be seated. So let's pray first. Hang on. Boy, some of you really want to sit down. (laughs) Father, thank you for your word today. We pray you bless it in Jesus' name. And Lord, help us to walk out of here knowing who is to define us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, the the words are going to be up there, but if you want to follow with me in your Bible or on your iPhone, it's Judges chapter 6. I'm starting at verse 1. I'm going to go through verse 7, and then I'm jumping down to verse 11. But let me just read to you a story of a man we all know about. His name is Gideon. And let's just read. Then the people of Israel began once again to worship other gods. Always got them in trouble. And once again, the Lord let their enemies harass them. This time it was by the people of Midian for seven long years. Verse 2, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelis took to the mountains and started living in caves and in dens. So they lost their homes and they're living in caves. Verse 3, when they planted their seed, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and other neighboring nations came and destroyed their crops and plundered the countryside as far away as Gaza, leaving nothing to eat. Everybody say nothing was on the store shelves for them. And they took away all their sheep, all their oxen, and all their donkeys. These enemy hordes arrived on droves of camels that were too numerous to count and stayed until the land was completely stripped and devastated. What a horrible sight. When they planted their crops, these marauders came in and stole everything. They were constantly robbed. Why? Because they began to worship other gods. It never goes well if you pick a god other than the real god. Verse 6, so Israel was reduced to abject poverty because of the Midianites. Then at last, the people of Israel began to cry out to the Lord for help. Why is it we always do it at last? At the last, like, oh, maybe we ought to pray. All right, verse 11. One day, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the oak tree at Ophrah on the farm of Joash the Abezerite. Joash's son Gideon had been threshing wheat by hand in the bottom of a grape press. He's in the bottom of, of, of a thing. They poured a bunch of grapes in and you would step on them and press them and get the juice. It was a pit where grapes were pressed to make wine. Why was he down there? He was hiding from the Midianites, hiding from his enemy. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, I love this, mighty man of courage. The Lord is with you. Let me tell you what he did. He looked behind him. Who are you talking to? Then the Lord turned to him and said, I want you to go with the strength you have 
and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now, I want you to look at his reply in verse 15, because his reply is where I want to land today. Gideon replied, Sir, how can I save Israel? My family is the poorest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least thought of in the entire family. My family is the poorest, and I'm the least. Let me translate it for you. You picked the wrong guy. You picked the wrong guy. Because, now, I want everybody to catch this. This is the way he viewed himself. This was his opinion of himself. This was his assessment of who he was and where life had dropped him. I'm the poorest. I'm the least. So, so how can I possibly do something great for God? Because of the way I view myself, is never going to happen. But the Lord said to him, But I, Jehovah, will be with you, and you will quickly destroy the Midianite hordes. Now I want to talk about the way you see yourself today. Because I want you to notice something here in this story. I love the way the Bible tells things. I, I love the Word of God. Because, see, Gideon had a problem. It was the way he viewed himself. That was his problem. The way he viewed himself. See, it's so important, folks, who you and I allow to define us. So important, who is shaping the way we look at ourselves. What we think of ourselves. What our self-image is. Who is shaping the way... You look at yourself, your potential, uh, your abilities, your talents, your value, your worth, and your purpose. What's your worth? How valuable are you? How, how, how usable are you in the hands of God? How do you look at yourself? It's so very important who we allow to shape the way we view ourselves. Everybody listening to me at this very moment has a self-image. Every one of you, and me included. We got a self-image. A way we look at ourselves, what we believe about ourselves. We all have a self-image. It can be negative, and it can be positive. It can be a self-image that hinders you in life, or that helps open doors and gain favor with people. The way you view yourself, you take with you everywhere you go. The way you view yourself is how you enter relationships. The way you view yourself is how you go looking for a job. The way you view yourself is how you carry yourself out there in public. And the way you view yourself really affects what you are able to receive from God and the level to which God is able to use you. And that's the most important thing here, because here's God calling this man, Gideon, to do a mighty work, to literally be a deliverer of his people from seven years of slavery and oppression and misery and cruelty. He's the man God has put his hand on, but his, his self-image is getting in his way. He doesn't believe it can happen. Me? Me? I'm the least. You, you, you mean me? You don't mean me. Moses did the same thing. I, I, I stutter. Moses had the same problem. 
You don't mean me to deliver Israel from Egypt because I can't even talk good. So the way you view yourself is going to decide how and to what level you respond to God's purpose for you. How you view yourself. Now, whatever your self-image is, it's been shaped by several factors. Let me give you a few of them. First, your past. Including the wounds you may have experienced in your past, your mistakes, your successes, your failures, how others treated you, and so on. What happened to you when you were a little person? Your past. What happened to you when you tried to do some things and you either succeeded or failed? How others treated you and viewed you helped shape your self-image. Listen, listen. If God's not shaping your self-image, something is. Something is right now, today, and has up to this point. You believe what you believe about yourself based on largely your past, but not just the past, but the opinion of other people has shaped your image of yourself. Uh, What they said about you, what they spoke over you. What did people speak over you when you were a little person? What did they say? It could have been positive stuff. I hope it was. I really hope it was positive stuff. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. All right? What we say to people, we can shape what they think about themselves. Some little person, some little boy, some little girl, they're going to grow up thinking something about themselves, believing about themselves what important people spoke over them. Their parents their in-laws, their teachers, their principals, their coaches, what they said about them, to them, about them, shaped their self-image. I hope they said positive things like, man, you are so likable, you are so lovable, Uh, you've got a wonderful way with people. Anybody ever told you that? Let me tell you that. Or you've got such incredible promise, promises all over you, right? Right? God really has his hand on your life for something great. Positive things. Boy, you're talented. Boy, you've got a gift. Boy, you've got it going on. You are all that in a bag of chips. Right? Because I can remember what teachers said to me, what my third grade teacher said to me, my second grade teacher. I remember all of their names. My first grade teacher. I remember Mrs. Lois. Second grade, Mrs. Rush. Third grade, Mrs. Parrott. That's right, Parrott. I remember them. I remember what my sixth grade teacher said to me. Mrs. Sullivan. I remember. Way back then, their impact was so strong. What they said shaped my self-image. Are you with me? And and hopefully you haven't had negative things spoken over you when you were young and growing up, or even now, by somebody abusive in your life. Things like, you can't do anything right. You're just not very talented. You're going to end up just like your father or mother. You remind me of your old dad, jailbird, a drunk, a failure in life. You, You remind me of them. And those words, those words, those words, if we're not careful, will shape 
the way we view ourselves and will decide and determine a lot about our future. It matters what you think about you. So your past defines you and what others have said about you and spoken over you define you. But there's one last factor that I got to add. Maybe nobody here would think of it, but I guarantee you it's real. A third factor in shaping self-image is your belief about where you came from. Did you come from some cold, random, uncaring, accidental process called evolution that just sort of spits you into life? An accident? Or did you come from a creator God who custom designed you on purpose for a purpose? Amen. See, if you think you came from evolution, let me tell you what that's going to do. That that is not going to spawn a self-image of anything but I have little value, I have little purpose, I have little meaning, and therefore I have little hope. Because after all, I'm just here by random accident. There's no, there's no transcendent purpose or meaning for me. I'm just here. And I'm an animal, like everything else on the globe. I'm just a, a, a highly cultivated animal. But no, if you believe that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and not fearfully and wonderfully evolved... No, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He made me in my mother's womb. He fashioned me me in my mother's womb. He called me before I was born. His hand is on my life. My whole life, the calendar of my whole life, God already knows it. He knew what I was going to do. He knew what He called me to do. And I am here on purpose, for a purpose. And that changes the way I see myself. Now we see in this text that we read, the very first thing God did with Gideon, the man he chose to deliver Israel, the very first thing he did was challenge and change his self-image. That's the very first thing God did. The way he viewed his potential as a vessel in God's hands. God immediately dealt with (laughs) the way he viewed himself. When, When God called Gideon a mighty man of courage, catch this everybody, he was in the bottom of a pit. And he was hiding from the enemy. In other words, he was the opposite of what God called him. He was not at all what God called him. He was was living in cowardly fear. He was hiding from the enemy that God had called him to defeat. And he was in a wine press, down at the bottom of a pit, hiding. So Gideon's context was the opposite of what God said to him. Has that ever happened to you? When God called me to preach, I said, you have got to be kidding because when God called me to preach, I, I, the last person, if you had lined up a hundred people and I was one of them and, and you had said, who amongst this hundred is going to be called to preach? I would have picked myself as number 100 because I had terrible stage fright. I had terrible insecurities. And the last thing I viewed myself as was a public speaker. No, no, you have got to be kidding. I ran from it. And the more that I ran the worse the fire got to to do the very thing I didn't want to do. But God looked at me and said, no, let me tell you something. You're a preacher. Oh, no, Lord, you don't know who you're talking to. I haven't had any high school. I've messed up my whole life. Uh, Surely you're looking for somebody else that looks better, sounds better, is more equipped. 
But God said no, because here's the deal. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you look like. I don't care the way you see yourself. Because the first thing I'm going to do, Jeff, is change the way you see you. I'm going to change the way you see you. God said to Gideon, you're a mighty man. He said, I'm the least. God said, you're a man of courage, but he was hiding in fear. God said, go, but Gideon said, no. And God started dealing with the way he saw himself. It was only when Gideon saw himself the way that God saw him that he was able to go out and he defeated the Midianites and delivered the children of Israel and became one of the great judges in the book of Judges. But he had to accept God's description of him. Now, when God defines you and me and our potential, he always does it this way. He does it in, in light of what you can do and you can be through him. The Bible never teaches positive thinking, as we know positive thinking in the American West. That is not the way that God sees it. Uh, for instance, let me give you an example. Paul didn't say, I can do all things and stop there. That's what positive thinking would say. I can do all things. Oh, I can do anything. I can do all things. I got it going on. I'm, I'm a great big bundle of potential. There isn't anything I can't do. I can do all things. That's where positive thinking will take you. But Christianity takes you further. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In another place, Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. Yeah, 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 I've reached all kinds of people and I'm a mighty apostle and I'm writing two-thirds of the New Testament, but guess what? It's not because I can do all things. It's because I can do all things through Christ. I am a powerful vessel under Him, but in and of myself, no. But in Him and through Him and by Him, I can do all things. God told Gideon, Gideon, I know you're hiding from the enemy that you're going to end up defeating. And I know you're in a pit and I know you're in misery. And I know you've been under a torturous lifestyle, but Gideon, I'm going to be with you. And because I'm with you, things are about to change because I'm with you. Things are about to change. Gideon, if you will just believe what I'm telling you, that I have called you and that you're my man and that I've laid my hand on you, then things are about to radically change and your people are about to go free if you just accept the way I see you. So God never encourages us to, to be confident solely in ourselves but that we should be confident in him, in us, strengthening and enabling us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So to be a vessel in his hands, folks, to accomplish his will in us, he's got to teach us to see ourselves through his purpose for us, which is accomplished by his power in us. Listen to this verse. Paul said, God is working in you. I want you to say with me, God is working in me. If you're a child of God, raise your hand. If you're born again, if you're a born again child of God, raise your hand. All right, God is working in you. You may not feel it. You may not always be aware of it, but God is working in you. And what is his working doing? Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God's working in us gives us a desire to please him, a desire to do his will, but then he also gives us the power to do it. 
So it's by Him. It's through Him. It's in Him. And God wants us to see ourselves today like He sees us. So let me point out two key facts about the importance of who is shaping your view of yourself. First one, if we don't let God define us, the world will. You got that? That's why Romans 12, 1 says, don't be conformed to this world. Because it's always trying to conform you. It's always trying to get you to fit into its mold. This world, every single day, by television, by radio, by newspapers, by the culture out there that is now so toxic. It's always, every day, trying to shape you. Next week, I'm going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how Nebuchadnezzar immediately tried to Babylonize them. And I'm going to show you how this works because we're in a battle every day. You see, we're saved. The devil can't take that away, but what he can do is, is keep you thinking like the world, viewing things like the world, walking like the world, talking like the world, and seeing yourself the way the world defines you and not the way God defines you. Oh, this is so important. I can't tell you how important this is because it's going to decide whether or not you do mighty things for God. How many of you want to see something mighty happen in your life before you leave this planet? Yes. So if we don't let God define us, the world will. The world is every day aggressively, aggressively, daily, hourly, seeking to define what you believe about yourself, your potential, your future, and your purpose. Who you are what you should do, how you should think. Now I'm going to go where some fear to tread. But one of our top buzzwords out there today is, I identify as... Now listen carefully to me. That phrase, I identify as, means something or someone has defined you and you've accepted it. It's generally used... Now, in a moral sense, but it's branching out more and more into other areas of life. I identify as, let me tell you right off the bat, I identify as a born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled child of God, called of Him, and that's how I identify. I identify as that. I identify as a Christian. I identify, right? But watch this. There's an incredible effort out there to define people and to get them to accept it. I identify as this, that, or the other. That's who I am. When you say I identify as, as, then you're saying this is who I am. So I have accepted a defining of me. In the moral arena, we hear things like this. I identify as ah gender, which is gender neutral. I don't have a gender. Don't tell me it's not real because it's how I identify. Or I identify as bi-gender. I'm both man and woman depending on the day. Or I identify as non-binary. Something other than male or female. And then there's this one. We all see it and know it. Transgender. I identify as. Meaning, I'm not the gender I was born with. So this is how I identify. All right. Listen to the words again. I identify as. 
What does that mean? It means something or someone defined you over time and now you've accepted it. I identify as. Because this is who I am. And can you see with me, that has lifelong, eternal repercussions. A defining process has taken place that has brought this person to the place of accepting and embracing it. Now here's my question today. The question is, where did the defining come from? What's the source of the defining? How many of you want to be like Jesus? How many of you want to be like Jesus? Come on, raise your hand. You want to be like Jesus. Okay, then let me tell you how it's going to happen. You've got to let God define you. You're going to have to let God define you. You're never going to be like Jesus until you say, I'm a blood-bought, spirit-filled, redeemed child of God. I'm called and chosen, and I'm on the potter's wheel, and he is making me more and more like Jesus every single day. Oh, it matters who or what you're allowing to define you. Another type of defining is this one. Generational defining. Let me give you an example. I've talked to people who've told me this. Well, my dad was an alcoholic. My granddad was an alcoholic. My great-granddaddy was an alcoholic. So I'm an alcoholic. You know what they're saying right there? I am. When you say I am, you have accepted a defining process. When you say I am, you have accepted somebody or something defining you. So when you say I am an alcoholic and here's why, uh, it's a generational curse, you've allowed something to define you other than God. Because let me tell you something, no matter what your daddy did or your granddaddy did or your great granddaddy did, you are not doomed to be any of that if you're a child of God. Seriously. Jeff, what about generational curses? I'm not so sure about generational curses. Hang with me a minute. Didn't Jesus say you will know the truth and it will make you free? He didn't say kind of free. He said free. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man or any woman be in Christ, they are a brand new creation. Old things, all old things, everything old is passed away. And all, everybody say all. All is become new. Brand new. Brand new. So he didn't say, you're brand new, but you also got to go get delivered of all the generational curses. No. If you get your theology straight, Christianity is not do, do, do. It's done, done, done. Done. I know I just kicked a golden calf for some of you. But I want you just at least to think about it. Because, hey, listen, if I'm born again and I'm adopted and I'm in the family of God, then everything flowing through my veins is coming from Him, not from my distant ancestors. Selah, go out and chew on that and love me anyway. Amen? But if we accept, well, yeah, yeah, it's all in my descendants. They all were this way. So I'm doomed to be that way. If you accept that, I'm going to ask you, where did that defining come from? Where did it come from? I want you to think about that. And can you support it from New Testament theology? Can you? And what about those negative voices from the past? 
You're not a good person. You're doomed to fail. You're not talented, bright, or promising. Boy, are you, are you something else. You're never going to make it in life. You're a great big mess up. You're just like your father, your mother. Uh, 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 are those voices defining you today? I've had terrible things spoken over me in my past. Terrible things. And I had to wake up one day and say, I'm either going to believe those things and accept those things and live my life according to what was spoken over me, or I'm going to receive what God says about me. Okay? Catch this, everyone. I want you to say something with me. God is in the defining business. And He alone should be the only definer whose defining of us we accept. Are you with me? I'll give you a couple of examples and I'm going to close. Because I'm, I'm going to hang with this for a few weeks. We've got to get this down. Because that culture is not defining Jeff Wickwire. That, def- that culture is not going to define you if you hang around here long enough. God's Word defines me. The God of the Word defines me. When Jesus called the disciples, what did He do? very first thing he did was define them. Watch this. Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. What were they doing when he told them that? They were fishing for fish. But Jesus said, I'm about to change things. Follow me, and I'll make you become. That word become is so powerful. It's the Greek word genomai, and it means to be transformed from one thing into something else entirely. Follow me. And you're going to become something you would never have been had you not followed me. I'm, I'm going to do something in your life you would never have experienced if you didn't follow me. But if you follow me, you're going to undergo a huge transition. I'm going to change the way you see yourself and what you think you're all about. Peter's view of himself was, I'm a fisherman, my daddy was a fisherman, my granddaddy was a fisherman, and my great-granddaddy was a fisherman, so I'm a fisherman. And my whole identity is as a fisherman. And Jesus said, well, I'm going to put an of in between fisher and men. You're a fisher now, Peter, of men. And Peter began to see himself differently. Who was it that stood up on the day of Pentecost and let it fly And 3,000 people were saved. The former fisherman, who's now a fisher of men. Simon Peter, the same old fisherman, wrote these words to the church. You are. Now, anytime the Bible says you are, it's defining. Right? So everybody say with me, you are. A chosen generation. Say with me, you are. A royal priesthood. Say with me, you are a holy nation. One more time, you are a called out people. Now there's four you are's. What what is you are? It's defining. It's God, by his word, telling us who we are. Because if God doesn't define us, something else will. So I receive it. I am chosen. I am a priest. I am part of a holy nation, and I am called out by God. And what for? That you, that, you're, that you would show forth the praises of Him 
who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now I'm going to give you a principle. Please hang with me. Here comes the principle. We're almost done. Are you ready? Defining always precedes sending. God will never send you until he has defined you and you've accepted it. Hey, mighty man of valor and courage. Who, me? Yes, and until you believe that, I can't send you. But as soon as you believe that I'm with you and that you can do it in me, I'm going to send you. So Gideon received my defining, my description of you. You're a mighty man of courage. I don't care that you're in a pit. I don't care that you're hiding from the enemy. I don't care that you look cowardly and fearful right now. Gideon, I'm going to do something else because this is the way I see you. God will define you, then he will send you. Amen. Finally, you'll never fulfill God's purpose till you see yourself like He sees you. Who do you say that I am, disciples of mine? Peter pipes up. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, which means to hear. Simon, you didn't come up with that on your own. My Father in heaven showed this to you. So you will be called Peter, the rock. You've been walking according to Simon, which is to hear. You've been listening to me, Peter, for three years. But now I'm defining you. You're going to be a rock. You're not going to be like water. You're not going to be denying me. You're not going to be impetuous and compulsive and speak when you don't know what to say. And you're not going to be all wishy-washy. No, Peter, here's how I see you. You're going to be a rock. And Jesus defined him. This is so powerful. I, I, I know this in May. I don't know if it's typical Sunday morning message or not. I don't really care. We need to hear it. Right? We need to hear it. Because God couldn't send Jeff Wickwire until I finally said, okay, I am a preacher. And when I accepted it, oh my, he turned me loose. But he didn't send me till he defined me. Amen? The rock. And after Pentecost, we see the rock walking down a street. And his shadow is healing people. We see the rock thrown in prison. The next day they're going to kill him. But he's sleeping. He so trusts God. And he didn't have a melatonin. (laughs) But he's sleeping. How come you're not up and all uptight and calling for a lawyer? Because I trust God. I'm a rock. And the angel came and got him out of there. Folks, you are who God says you are. Can we stand up together today? Oh, this is so important. Because once we accept who we are in Him, He's going to send us to do things we've never done. Amen. Amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you see this congregation. You see this people. And we see, Lord, that 
The devil's in the defining process, but so are you. And the devil's only copying you because you are the ultimate great definer of all of us. We get our identity from you, our self-image from you. Lord, I pray you'll help us if the past has been hindering you. Something in the past has made you believe God can't use you. Something people spoke over you. They called you terrible things. And it's tailed you and stalked you and trailed you ever since. I want you to shake it off today. Like Paul shook off that viper that grabbed hold of his hand. A poisonous Asian viper that grabbed his hand. And he should have immediately died. But he shook it off. He shook the poisonous thing off. I want today, I want you to shake off what people have said about you that is a lie from hell. It's not what God says about you. I want you to shake it off. You, it's not true that you're no good. It's not true that you can't do anything. It's not true that you're a natural born failure. That's a lie. No. You can do everything and anything through Christ who strengthens you. Say with me, everybody, I shake it off. I shake off anything poisonous that affected my self-image, the way I view myself. I can do all things through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen, amen, amen. 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 How many of you needed this today? How many of you needed this today? Come on.